Welcome, this is Leading with Spirit, the show that gives you an in-depth look at topics like what it takes to navigate your spiritual journey, how to heal yourself and grow your spiritual gifts, and balanced practices to expand your business and your spiritual leadership. I'm your host, Spirit Bird, shamanic teacher, healer, and author, here to guide you on your journey to becoming your most potent spiritual leader. All psychedelics, or what I prefer to call entheogens, and all plant medicines for that matter, even if they are not psychedelics, carry a unique intelligence. That means that they're designed to do specific things, that they, as a thing or species, uh, were created for a specific purpose, and kind of as a whole, as a collective, have a particular type of intelligence to them, and a particular flavor and personality almost. Uh, When you work with a plant, you then carry the wisdom of that plant within you. It's really similar to when you live in a place for a long time and you end up embodying the energy of that place and carry it with you wherever you go. There are many reasons people will choose to work with entheogens. Um, And of course, there are many different entheogens. Um, Usually it's for healing, of course, uh, expansion, or to gain knowledge. Today, I want to take this special episode to share a little bit about how ayahuasca trained me, both as a practitioner and to use it as an intelligence. Um, Before we jump in, uh, I want to share with you a little bit about working with plant medicines, uh, especially if you are considering or already doing this as a practitioner. Um, And I'll do that via a little bit of my history. So in my personal opinion, when you get into shamanic work um, or spiritual work in general, there's always a careful balance between cultivating your own unique personality and medicine and perspective. Uh, A lot of it is working directly with the spirit. So it's less about what somebody told you or what the rules are and more about your connection with the spirits themselves, what they're asking you to do and how they want you to do it. Um, So there's a balance between that and learning and training from guides. Um, This is also a really important part about training and shamanic work because it is born from being in community and working with communities. There's a way that you can only grow so far without other people to reflect and show you things and to just give you information from further down the path. Um, And so as you're navigating this space, I always find it, um, I'm always careful here. We're full of care because I want you to really embrace this part of you, um, really embrace that there isn't somebody in charge, um, there aren't rules, um, that your connection with the spirit is what's most important, while also understanding that if you start to stray out on your own, you get into some tricky territory, usually pretty quickly. So that being said, I want to walk you through four of the main stages that I went through while specifically training with ayahuasca, why, while ayahuasca was training me. 
Um, and I have worked with a few different plants. I primarily work with psilocybin and ayahuasca. They're the ones that I've worked with the longest. In fact, psilocybin, I have a similar history with where I have actually have a longer history with where um, I started to train in shamanic work and then kind of uh, started learning to use psychedelics around the same time, but I didn't quite realize how they connected um, until I started to journey on my own and actually talk to the plant and learn how it worked and what it wanted me to do. Um, and then there was a long period of time where I actually put them down because I used them in the wrong way. I used them recreationally. Fine. If you want to use them that way, but that's not what I believe they're designed for. People can still have opening experiences that way. But I remember that specific moment where I knew it wasn't a good idea. I took them anyway. I had a bad experience and then I put them down for a long time. And that was also an important part of my journey because I had learned shamanic work outside of working with entheogens. Um, and so there's a part of me that really loves and knows that you can access um, your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, your spiritual gifts without having to use entheogens. They're a great tool. They're a beautiful tool. They're a beautiful intelligence. And you can totally do this without using them. And that's always important to me because I think it's easy when you start doing spiritual work, it's easy to um, send your power out to something external, turning it into the stars, sending your power out to uh, a teacher or a guru, sending your power out to uh, crystals or, or grid lines. Um, and they're all really brilliant tools that we can use and incorporate. And I want you, if you take anything from this talk, I want you to remember that you are actually the power and the intelligence and the way life moves through you is how the earth speaks through you. And it's what you're here to do. That being said, I'm going to walk you through the four main stages that I went through while training with ayahuasca. Um, uh, just to give you a sneak peek on what it looks like to have that intimate relationship with a plant, whether you plan on uh, working with others or whether you are just using it for your own personal work. So stage one was, is what I would call waking up and um, the beginning stages of the inner work with that plant. So what I love about psilocybin is it has this way of teaching you things. It kind of comes in from the peripherals. And then when you're ready to actually look at something and really see something, it sort of like gets very direct. It's like kind of like right in your face where you become like a very clear witness to the information or the teachings it's giving you whether that's through visuals, whether that's through just an understanding, whether that's through the body, it goes from indirect to very direct. And oftentimes psilocybin can do this in a pretty gentle way. Um, in fact, one of the things that I have learned is sometimes high doses are important to help you get through a hump, but oftentimes the light dose is where the freaking magic is. <laughs> and so yeah, so psilocybin has a way of being a little bit more gentle with you. It can still be intense. It can still be a very big teacher plant. And I've had journeys with it where it was working almost the same way ayahuasca does, where it really like gathered things from my body and basically tried to make me purge it out. 
But generally speaking, it's like a really beautiful way to enter the work. It gives you really powerful teachings, really powerful embodiment, but um, it's just a little bit more gentle and in some ways a little bit easier to integrate into your everyday life. Ayahuasca, on the other hand, can work that way too. But generally for most people, the, especially the first few times you do it, it's going to be a very big experience and maybe something that you're not super comfortable with. Um, or maybe you are. Um, one of the things that's it's known for, of course, is purging while you're on it. People will talk about how they don't want to throw up. It's quite different than throwing up. Um, you are in the, pro, you know, it's like a spiritual purge. I mean, something is actually coming out of your mouth and throat, but it is more of like gathering gathering the stuff that you don't need anymore, gathering the lies you've been carrying in your body, gathering the misperceptions you've had, gathering any place where you have been misaligned or distorted and removing it from your system. And then the process of purging, there's this like like really interesting, subtle in-between place where in that spot, while you're purging, it actually comes in and that's how it is able to get into your psyche and teach you things. It will teach you things all the time anyway, even if you're not actively using it. If you, Again, once you've used it, you carry that medicine with you. It'll continue to work with you if you are available to listen. But while you're on it, that particular layer of while you're purging is a specially potent place where it can come and teach you things and show you things. And so, um, so that waking up stage is where you first begin to learn how to work with it, how to let it flow through your body. Um, and likely it's going to take you to inner child work, um, especially during the beginning. So for me, uh, the way that looked is having like having that first waking up ceremony where it was like, oh yeah, I'm home. I remember exactly what this is. Um, I didn't realize at the time that I was being called to then carry it, but I do remember at the time, again, waking up and being like, I know exactly what this is, exactly what I'm supposed to do. I remember being here um, and it feels like home. Um, And here again, just side note, I'm always a big encourager of balance. So I am a big proponent of being able to move seamlessly between worlds. I don't believe that it's doing anybody any good to go out and have really extreme experiences that you can't then struggle to bring back into your everyday life. Um, And I don't believe that it's doing anybody any good to have this place where we have these big experiences and then don't know what to do with them. Um, Oftentimes it shakes things up and then we have trouble like coming back to sort of 3D reality. And to me, that's not healing. To me, being able to be in any world and feel comfortable in yourself and know yourself and be available for teachings, that's healing. Um, That being said, getting on tangents here, um, that being said, The next stage, again, was that inner child piece, which, again, you can access without having to use uh, entheogens for this. Um, In fact, it's pretty easy if you find uh, a guided meditation or a halfway decent practitioner, they'll be able to guide you through some of these parts. Um, And I actually wrote quite a bit about this specific experience in the book Sacred Medicine. And my chapter was on inner child retrieval and awakening, awakening your magic. Um, And so 
that is when I learned in my body the, the story about the fear is the way. I had heard it before. I kind of knew that oftentimes life will call you to situations that will seem scary. And what will happen is you might feel some fear in your body, right? You'll, especially in your belly. You'll be like, oh my God, that feels like nerves, um, super uncomfortable. And, <laughs> and what I had also learned is that it's also excitement, right? So the uh, nervousness and excitement are two sides of the same coin. So a lot of times I would follow my excitement. I'd get excited about an idea. And then I would notice right after my excitement, I'd get that nervous belly, like just in a quick second. And I realized that actually that was a sign that I was on the right track because if I wasn't a little bit nervous or afraid, then it probably didn't, then I probably wasn't very excited either. So with this particular journey, uh, working with them this particular weekend, I went into that even deeper where they were showing me whatever basically I was afraid to look at was the correct way to go. Um, and so I did. And that's what probably first really connected me to um, a deeper part of my inner child. Um, by the way, there's not just one inner child. You have a gazillion <laughs> inner childs. Um, and this is what uh, connected me deeply to probably the most stereotypically traumatized version of that one. Um, so, and she was so distanced from me, in fact, that I remember when I met her, uh, well, after I met her later, referring to her as my inner child archetype, I couldn't even call her me. Um, and then I, that particular night I met her, but I hadn't quite gotten to the healing. And then after working with ayahuasca again, that second time, um, and, and by honoring myself and not pushing myself through something, I was able to find her, access her. Um, purge the piece that was keeping me separate from her. And then I had a lot more clarity in my system and felt a lot more empowered. So um, yeah, so with the journey, I'm actually going to be sharing more about the similarity between shamanic journey, just like drum journeys, as in not using plants with using entheogens, because there is a very similar process. Um, and that's what's so beautiful is you actually don't need to go have these really big escape trips to access some of this wisdom. And I love both of them. I love both of them. So uh, come back next month. I'm going to do a special episode specifically on journeying and the different types of journey you can do. Um, so stage two is where I would say my training with the plant began. And P.S., by the way, um, at some point during this journey, I did actually start training with guides that were like with human guides teaching me how to work with the plants. Um, so I don't want to skip over that that was also happening. And again, here, this is the balance where it's like you want to both work with the plant and with the spirits for the direct information and the direct connection between you and them. And you want to have guides and community and people who have been working with it around you to show you the way, because I have learned and continue to learn that it's very easy to think that you know what you're doing and you don't, <laughs> or to think that you know it all and you don't, or to think that it's simple and it's not. Um, and so uh, again, if you're working with them, especially if you're using them with other people, um, please make sure you find community that can support you in that. Okay, disclaimer aside. Um, so part two was about being trained on how to come back to myself, how to navigate and how to move around while using the plants. 
so I remember this specific journey where at the beginning of the journey, um, I caught myself in the mirror just for a second. And I also noticed that um, this is when I began to notice I knew the power of intention. This is when I started to see that things would happen right before the journey that would then inform the entire journey. And this is what I would call the medicine. And oftentimes people will sort of be tuned into it. So I've done this too. People have done this for me where they might call me or message me or say something to me shortly before journey. And, and it ends up being beautiful part of the medicine that I needed to navigate and understand my journey. In this particular case, what the training was is to really differentiate myself between myself and others. Everybody's going to have a different training here, kind of based on what your particular tendencies are as far as your energy type and what where you tend to lean. Um, and I talk a lot about the shamanic archetypes in shaman school and in the foundations for a shamanic course. And so once you are aware of that, you'll start to see like what teachings kind of come through. But that being said, this one in particular was helping me discern between me and other and really more importantly, how to come back to myself. So it was putting me through this process where it would show me something really big and have something kind of start to come into my energy space or my aura, my boundary space, um, and basically have to choose to send it out, to not take it on and to refine myself. And if you're using a lot of medicine, you can, you can get disoriented pretty quickly. Um, especially with something like ayahuasca, where you probably want to be laying down, you might not even be able to move very well for a while, um, because it's such a big teacher in the way that it moves through your body. And so it had come into my system and taught me how to find my center so that I could then still get up and move, still get up and see, still get up and do things. Um, but like many big teacher plants, they're bossy and they might have a lot of humor. <laughs> so I remember at that point thinking like, oh, I, have a, I got this, like trying to try and be the boss of me, I'll show it. And of course, it then sent me to the bathroom where it was pitch dark and there wasn't any toilet paper <laughs> and had the last laugh at me. But this began my, my training on how to, again, stay clear on myself and not get lost in what was happening around me or the perceived pain of other people or other people coming into my awareness and into my boundaries and how to navigate actual 3D space. Um, step three was really about listening to ayahuasca and to following its instructions. Um, so this is was over a long period of time as well. And what I'd found and what you'll find and probably have found if you work with plant medicines is that uh, there's very much a big part of the process that's related to surrender, um, not fighting it letting it be okay moving through your body and your psyche the way it wants to. And um, again, in a safe space and with uh, the correct practitioner for you, um, you're not going to be harmed. Um, so it's really more about just sort of relaxing and letting it do what it wants to do. And in some ways it really sort of like animates you. Um, if you can really let go, it'll, it will move you. It might even have you say things for it or for yourself, but it'll move through you so you can say it. 
Um, and so it will challenge you to do things you don't want to do. It might challenge you to get up and move in front of somebody or say something to somebody. It might challenge you to um, dance or put your body in a certain position. It might challenge you to crawl on the ground, even though you can move. It might tell you to go sit over there. And um, this is where I remember having that first conversation with it, where it was really like, do you trust me? And I had to find my, that place where I was in agreement with it, where I did trust it and communicate that back and then show it, show it that I trusted it. And from there, it began, began to get very communicative with me. So again, even when I wasn't actively using the plant, it was in my body and in my system. So there's a way that you can actually tune into its teachings. And this again happens with any plant. You can tune into it to its teachings, even when you're not actively using it. And so it was instructing me and talking to me and showing me things in regular life and training me, teaching me how to work with life, teaching me how to work with it, teaching me how it wants to be held. And so the stage three, again, was all about surrendering and really listening to what it wanted me to do. Ah, and there are a gazillion stories that I would love to share with you here on this subject, but I'm just going to leave it simple and at that. So the last stage um, or the most recent stage, stage four, um, I'm sure there'll be many more stages. Uh, I will call learning to say no. Also a big part of my own curriculum, also a big part of my own teaching, also something that I teach other people to do. And um, there's a place where, you know, working with the plant really requires and wants you to have an extreme a sense of trust of it and basically honor what it's requesting. It's similar to life and spirit. I mean, when you follow your intuition, what life is teaching us is how to follow our intuition without any, basically without, you know, any fight. It's very easy to slip into thoughts or questions or say that doesn't make sense or resist in some way. And this is one of the points of life is really following who we are and our inner knowing for the life of flow, for the life of abundance, so that we can move with ease, be in the right place at the right time, experience beauty, experience healing, have emotional experiences, have the experiences we're supposed to have as humans. Um, and so the plants very much work this way when you have a relationship with them and when you are using them as teachers and when you're facilitating, uh, with other people and the next stage had to do with me actually not listening to them. It's like, I had to surrender and trust and basically like bow to them at one point. And while I still, still hold very much reverence and very much respect, especially for the ayahuasca teacher that is not to be messed around with. Um, that is very clear on um, who it is and how it likes to be respected and communicated with. Um, and so it was really important that I had that reverence and understanding and what can happen and what I've seen happen is the plants are really intelligent and can show us incredible things. And they're also just plants. There are also, there's also a whole wheel of other intelligences for us to use and learn from. 
And so just like when you're going through personal development and just like when you are going through like balancing your shamanic archetypes um, where you wouldn't want to lean too much to one side of the wheel or the other, the same is true for the plant nations, definitely include them, but you don't want that to be all of what you do or all of how you learn. This creates imbalance, which creates a space for negative experiences. And so what I had learned after having the reverences and respect is that um, the plant can really talk to you and suggest you do things. A lot of people that use it will share how they have experience where they can sort of like taste it in their mouth when it's calling them. And so I've often respected that and been like, okay, I hear you. You're calling me, you know, I will, you know, just do a microdose or something like that. Um, and then I had to learn how to say no. Actually, it taught me how to say no as well so that I could know how to say no to it. (laughs) Because when you start working with plants um, and if you've been in this work at all, you see this happen with people where kind of people get gobbled up. Their ego gets really big. They think they're powerful because they confuse their power with the power of the plants or they think they're more chosen than other people. Um, It gets really complicated really fast. And when you're working with a teacher that directly it might be really bossy with you. Um, and so it's not, it's definitely not the same as an addiction because there's not this like biological compulsion, but there is like a psychological compulsion, almost like a, again, there's like an agreement that it's like, oh, I've got to listen to what you say. And so not only did it teach me how to say no in general by in the middle of ceremony, when I normally would be taking another dose having me actually say no. It told me to say, it told me to say no. It told me no more right now. And it wasn't about that I was, that I had too much or that I wasn't prepared for the next part of the journey. It's that it just wanted to test to make sure I would listen to it and listen to its no. And then say no to people who I normally would want to say yes to. (laughs) Um, And then from there, once I sort of passed that challenge, um, it allowed me to use it again. And then, and then I took a break for a while. I took a break for a long time. Again, I love working with the plants and I think that it's important that you have balance with what teachers you're using, how you're using them in your life. And kind of the more you go to these extremes to one side, the more you're going to have an extreme to the other side. So we don't want to be a pendulum swinging back and forth. We want to be like right in the middle with like minimal movement if we can. And then recently I had started to get that call again. I started to get the signs um, in my body. I started to get um, communication and messages specifically around that it was time to work with it again. And, um, and then I mentioned it <laughs> and, um, and then I, I had some on my altar and I let it sit there for a while. Cause I knew that it had been calling me. Um, and then there it was. And, I was excited to be reunited with it. And also I wanted to be very, very clear about permissions, the when I was uh, given, when I was invited to use it and when I wasn't. And so I microdosed with it for a little while. And then I did another journey. I sat down and had a psilocybin journey. and, um, And during that journey, it was very clear at one point where it was time to honor, honor the ayahuasca. Again, it's 
requires a lot of reference. It's a bit bossy and I have a great respect for it. And you can tell when it just wants you to bow to it. Um, and I, I'm even noticing myself being a little bit careful saying that because I don't want to portray it as like, you know, it sounds really culty, even just like that by saying it wants you to bow to it. Um, or it sounds like, um, you know, a, a deity or an entity or something that like makes you do things. And it's really not, you have your own sovereignty. Um, but again, this is all part of the agreements and communication. And again, it's very, it's very, uh, it can be very tricky to navigate. Um, this is why having guidance and having people around you is important. So it's not just you and the plants. So you're working with community of people that have maybe been there or can give you some mirrors or some, you know, some additional information. And during the journey, so I had this moment where it was very clear that it was time to honor it and bow to it. Um, and this journey was really very much about like me and who I was and what my enough is um, and not what anybody else says or does. <laughs> and so I gave it the honoring and um, and I could feel that it wasn't quite inviting me to take it. And I laid down and continued to journey with the psilocybin. And then towards the end of my journey, it was like a big, it was like a lightning bolt out of nowhere. I shot up and I could feel that intense invitation. I could feel ayahuasca was saying, okay, now, now is the time. And I grabbed the jar and held it. And I thought to myself, I can tell that it's asking me to take it. And I also know that for myself, I have had enough today. I have gotten the teaching that I was seeking and I needed. And so I said, thank you and no thank you and put it back down. And to me, this is such a big part of the journey because again, we can get these really strong attachments to the plants as teachers and we start to sort of, so we can even start to like lose our power in them as they start to work with us more. You can lose your boundary between what you are and what they are that magic itself is already sort of like such a merging process that it's already sometimes hard to distinguish the difference. And so if you're working with these plants, you got to be able to step out of it, be able to say, actually, this isn't serving me, be able to take a step out of it and come back to regular life, or more importantly, be able to let it just be part of regular life and not this big extreme thing that you do. Um, and not something that takes over your life so that it's hard to participate in regular reality again, because that's not, that's not what healing is. That's not why we go to them in the first place. So I hope that there were some pieces in there that might be helpful for you if you're working with plants. Um, again, I, you know, I have a, a little bit of a inner qualm with sharing this, not because I don't mind talking about it because, but because I walk this balance of knowing people are using it and people are serving it to people, whether they're qualified or not. Um, and knowing that part of the process is for you to be using your own discernment as far as a healer, whether you're working with entheogens or not part of the whole process that you go through is learning to embody who you are and step forward and basically, you know, have your own relationship and not have to worry about what other people say or think. And there's just as much importance in honoring the lineages, honoring those that come before us um, and honoring the fact that you don't know it all. 
Um, and so with all things striving here with balance as well, if you're using them, I hope that you can take some of this to heart and, um, yeah, and move forward with integrity. Um, cause it's not just about how it affects you. It is about how it affects other people. Um, and yeah, and we can celebrate that it's a great tool and we're, um, coming back into it. And there are also, uh, ages of ways that it's been used that can also be honored for the best experience, both for us um, as individuals, us collectively, and out of respect for the plants as their own intelligence that, um, that have an agenda as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. Welcome to today's member query episode, where we explore questions about spiritual paths, intuitive gifts, growing a spiritual business, and shamanism. Do you have a question for us? Send us a DM at Holton Healing Arts. Have you been hearing the call to expand your spiritual gifts and step into your next level of conscious leadership? If you're a coach, healer, or a spiritual leader, you can learn more about Shaman School and growing your spiritual business on our website, HoltonHealingArts.com, or send me a DM at Holton Healing Arts. Another question from one of our Leading with Spirit private Facebook group users. And the question is, how do you do a soul retrieval? And unlike meditations, uh, instead of telling a person what to do, you work with them directly to uncover the missing soul part. First, by getting clear on their intention and connecting to the spirit realm. Then locating the lost part, um, which includes what age, what happened, where the part went, um, and the shaman that you're working with should be able to see this for you or guide you there. Um, the old way kind of had actually one of the ways that I was taught that's still powerful, but to me, it's just, it's a little outdated and not as empowering as the new method. The old method I learned was actually just to journey and ask to find their missing part and then essentially reaching out into the spirit realm, grab like grabbing it and then bringing it back and returning it into the person. And there were specific processes for that. Um, obviously, Sandra Ingerman was one of the biggest people who brought this forward. Um, and uh, the newer method has you as the practitioner basically guiding them through the process and uncovering the part um, and helping them to see the things that they forgot. So once the age where it went, uh, what happened is clear. Once that is clear, you can speak to the missing part of the soul or the missing part, uh, soul part of the body, because that happens too, and heal it by helping it understand what it needs, um, what it needs to know more about, or altering its perception of what happened um, and why, and then inviting it to return, making sure not to force it or rush it. The shaman would assist you in this process, uh, a process that I teach in shaman school. And it can be tricky because many of the missing parts are left usually because of trauma, uh, big or small, you know, small traumas still count. Um, so you'll need to be aware of that. You could also journey for yourself and ask to find the missing part um, and let the spirits help you from there. I'm a big fan of working with someone, especially on bigger issues, because a good practitioner will include you in the process and help you process the issue. So the part you retrieve stays with you 
and you can see the whole picture and it's less likely to um, go back out again and then require you to retrieve it later on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Leading with Spirit. If you did, please share the link for this episode with your biggest takeaway, tagging me at Holton Healing Arts. It would also support me if you subscribed and left a rating and review of the show so we can support more people living their highest purpose. Until next time, journey on.